Hello, this is Melissa, and it's Real History on Thursday, the 28th of September, 2023. And I'm joined today again by Peter in BC. Left brain, right brain, Peter joins a cult. For part two, because Laura, who I was going to be speaking with, unfortunately is dealing with some serious illness in the family, and it is taking up a lot of time and energy, so that is too bad. I am appreciative that you were willing to join me so quickly and and get into this a little more deeply. Hello. So how's it going today? Pretty good. I, uh, yeah, so... Uh, Melissa just contacted me yesterday, and then so Melissa, I I haven't gotten hardly any of that homework done that you texted me. <laughs> That's, That's okay. I really didn't oh, expect uh, that you would. <laughs> okay, I'll look. But I watched the first documentary, the one from like the eighties. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I remember those documentaries. I bet you I've seen that uh-huh. in the eighties. I was a kid. I was fascinated by all the cults and stuff. So what this is, is a, is a documentary that was done in 1984 and also a book. I think they had similar titles, but it was Gods of the New Age. And this is something that Alan mentioned quite a few times in his talks over the years, particularly in some of his earlier blurbs. What it does is it exposes a lot of how the New Age movement, this is meditation, yoga, and a lot more was brought into the West and for what purposes and so forth. So it's a good kind of foundational documentary on the subject. And it brought me right back to being in my parents' basement watching all these shows, like the narrator and his tone of voice. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you remember the show In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you? Yeah, because that's I what do, I thought. Yeah. Geez, it's the exact same accent, same tone of voice, the way he talks. But yeah, that brought me right back. But like saying that, uh, this place is nothing close to any of those gurus. And like, I think they were talking about the, the cult where everybody has to wear orange or purple. Mm-hmm. And, and like the guru, and they moved to the States somewhere. Netflix did a whole series on that cult in 2017 called Wild Wild Country 2017. Wild Wild Country. And they go into detail. It's like, I don't know, seven or eight hours documenting that cult and how crazy it was. Interesting. Um, so this is this is way different. Like, I call it a cult. and It's got its own total weirdness and CIA involvement and WEF and the UN. But it's not like that at all. It's presented as... A meditation, a, a place where you can learn Buddhist meditation. It, it's a meditation retreat. Mm-hmm. So you come for 10 days, like, t- and you take a course, a meditation course. And, uh, if you don't like it, you leave. Most people stay till the 10 days is up. You have a free place to stay, your showers, uh, food, breakfast, and lunch. It's all cooked for them. No, no dinner though. Uh, they're supposed to live like a monk for 10 days and at the end of 10 days get out of here like it's nobody there's no love bombing or anything the serotonin takes care of all the love bombing you don't need to keep people around and there's no physical contact you're not allowed to hug it's kind of like they they're silent and meditating for 10 days and then kick them out of here some of them want to stay and they can stay and and uh 
do chores and get set up for the next course and things like that, but they have to stay working. But there's no like accommodations for people to stay. There's, and the guru, I call him a guru. See, I, this is my mistake. I, I, I call the place a cult and a guru. And I don't want to sound like I'm sticking up for it. Like I said, it's got its own weirdness altogether, but it's completely different. Like those, I think, let's just say the intelligent agencies have already studied them, did their research and they found them useless. Like, Jim Jones cult, like that's interesting. Can we get people to, you know, take their inoculations? I mean, uh, drink the the Kool Aid, and this and all these gurus from, like the one that the Beatles went to. This is completely different. It's just ten days and get out. You're home. Like no, they don't want to hear from you. You can get a newsletter about upcoming things, but there's no. And like the children's course was the closest thing, where parents came with their kids and stayed, and the kids tried to learn a little bit of meditation but it was more like a you know family picnic where everybody just came and the kids were running around and playing they weren't interested in any meditation yeah it's not like those cults from the 80s as interesting as they are this is something completely different i think that they studied all those different cults they knew that like these gurus they're not much different than tv evangelists that would be our version over here you have tv evangelists that just are taking everybody's money and like uh, retired people living on a pension sending their pension to these guys so that they can go to heaven but here they they you don't have to pay up front because they don't we don't want the people or the people that come here they, i said uh we man i don't want to be we but uh they <laughs> don't want the uh the students to complain like i paid for this they, they, they were asking 750 bucks for the the 10 days you come on the day before so it's almost like 12 days and like like, like when you pay like well i don't want this food it's made by volunteers they might screw it up they might the spaghetti might be all sticky but when you're paying up front people complain and i want uh you know i to send it back to the chef so at the end of the thing they give a donation we're asking 750 most of them give 250 bucks 300 bucks people don't uh, give anything the place keeps uh continues on so it's for about 300 bucks they get to come here for 10 days free food free place to live like 300 bucks is a hotel now in uh, bc uh, during the summer for one night i don't have it in front of me right now but i'll try to look for it but when we were talking about this the other day it reminded me there was a group that's got about 400 branches across the U.S. called Sunrise Movement. It's Green New Deal, climate change, especially going after young children in schools. And they were trained, the two young women who started this organization were trained by a group of people that basically do, they, they create uh, and I'm doing the air quotes, the grassroots movements. They give them a brand and they motivate all of the people who are going to be involved in this. And in a minute, that name will come to me. But the one little piece of trivia that I recall from that founder's bio, he is up there. You don't find that much. He's kind of the mystery man of grassroots Marx, Saul Alinsky type organizing. And he even cited Saul Alinsky as, you know, a, a sort of spiritual mentor. 
Well, one of the things that he does every year is he does a 10-day Vipassana retreat. And I didn't remember that when we spoke before, but I do remember when I was looking into it. And when I read up on your place afterwards and saw that they weren't charging people anything, that it was donations when you were, when you were done, I realized, well, if you look at these Vipassana centers around the world, obviously the relative comfort of a lot of them, some of them are a little plainer, but many of them, they're quite nice. And these aren't done by people who are paying two or three hundred dollars for their ten day visit for room and board. This comes from a higher level donation. And I think that, that somebody just like this man who's doing Saul Alinsky organization and then get and being a mouthpiece for this, that's where your big bucks come in. Okay, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't, you're, I'm not saying that you have seen that there, but it's probably obvious to you that the place that you're at couldn't maintain itself on those kind of modest donations. Well, we did talk about that when I first called you and I said it's so such a coincidence that when they went through COVID, they were shut down, mm-hmm. like all the churches and mm-hmm. courses and schools. So they were heading into financial hardship. And then luckily they would get an inheritance of like 1.3 million and all these different inheritance of people leaving their pensions. And I thought that's really fishy because a kid from Alberta was saying, oh, same thing over in Alberta, we got an inheritance. (laughs) So that's what I was saying. Like I was thinking, whoa, like maybe it's funded from somewhere. But there's another theory I have. Well, I'm pretty sure this is it. That explains that coincidence because this they are in hard times, financial times during COVID, then everybody took their shots. There's a lot of highly suggestible people here and a lot of people taking their shots. Mm-hmm. And the all-cause all cause mortality rate is up so high in so many countries. I just think that the meditators started dying. And they a lot of times they like to leave because they're buying their way into Buddhist heaven and I'll get a better life after. So they don't want to pay the money now, but why don't I leave it in the will? And in Canada... You, if you leave your money to your kids, the government gets half of that. At least that's the tax is 50%. I'm pretty sure, but not to a nonprofit organization like this. Mm-hmm. So then when I'd asked him, they knew the guy. They'd met him. He used to come here and sit. That's what he did. He came for 10 day sits and he was on a committee that would vote on things. So he put them in his will and, uh, he went out for a bike ride one day and had a, and died of SADS, sudden adult death syndrome. Like, really? They just said, oh, he must. Yes, really. Uh, well, that's what I've been told. And they right. uh, they just said, well, he must have, he had a heart problem and we you know must have had a heart attack. But the guy was healthy enough that he always went for a bike ride in the morning and then just dropped dead. So I think that's where a lot of the money is coming from now. And there's still the donations and stuff. But the whole time, like for the past 30 years, yeah, like they weren't getting started from donations in India. They would have drives where people could donate so much a month to a mortgage and then they'd start centers. I think a lot of them get started up by that. There's a lot of documentaries about how this one started. Oh, I don't even have none of that written down. I've got like, I tried to prepare for this. I got sticky notes all over the place. (laughs) Why don't you just start taking a look at your sticky notes and tell me, you know, what you were thinking? Well, geez, this is a bundle of stuff here. I was just going (laughs) to... 
Well, okay, well, let's, so that's where the, the, um, Vipassana, it's a Vipassana foundation. So now that's what I learned from Alan when it's a foundation, that's mm-hmm. Masonic terminology, right? Mm-hmm. So of course it's been set up. Now the CIA and the KGB were well interested. Well, I know the KGB because of what Yuri Bezmenov said about he went to study the one in the Beatles and that one was just a ridiculous guru. But a CIA contractor, I don't know what they call the guy. He, it's on his Wikipedia that he worked for the CIA after World War II. And he went around, and this this technique comes from Burma. So he learned the technique in Burma. And you can see old black and whites on video where people from the 50s were were, uh, flying into Burma, uh, Americans, and then bringing it back. And then I guess there was a bus tour you could take from London in the early 60s. That would drive you right from London into India. And they would take you. What was this guy's name? Oh, John Coleman? John Coleman. The CIA? Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. so, and that's interesting because we were saying John Coleman because there was the other guy that wrote that book about the Committee of the 300. Mm-hmm. Different And his fellow. name was John Coleman. Yeah, different guy, but I was thinking, I bet that's just a CIA pseudonym. Oh, no, what do you call it? A fake name for writing a book? Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking that because Coleman is also a lantern company. I think established in the early 1900s. So mm-hmm. gas lanterns, gas lighting, Coleman gas <laughs> yeah, lighting. Yeah, that's their business. Absolutely. Yeah, this guy he he was teaching the meditation outside of uh, Burma because the guy that was teaching it wasn't. They weren't allowed to leave Burma at that time or get a visa to other countries. One guy did. The Hindu guy that's. That's been teaching this. It's Vipassana by S.N. Gwanka. Mm-hmm. He got his visa to India, and that's when he started teaching in India. And then the centers just, like, the way that it popped up all over the world from, like, the 1960s to now is just wild. Like, it had to have a lot of help mm-hmm. along the way by some agencies. And, like, John Coleman was involved in it. He was the teacher. You just look him up with John Coleman Vipassana. He'll come right up on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, I can look right here. Yeah. <laughs> John Coleman, John Earl Coleman, um, and it tells his story. CIA guy <laughs> started teaching Vipassana in Italy. Died a little while ago. Wrote a book about it, The Quiet Mind. It's called by John Coleman. So, well, and like I said, they've always been interested in serotonin. So this old technique, and this is the one that Ashoka used. Because it would spread rapidly. Uh, anybody with any religion could just start meditating if you believed in the hocus pocus or not. You, that's what I did when I first went there in India. I was not like I was talking about the the sadhus there, and it's like a fucking guy would spread my mind. I, that's what it seemed could be mm-hmm. a parlor trick, but you know, like I said last time. So I and then the neighbor said, "Oh, we're going to a meditation course." I said, "Okay, right on, I'll go." And I just phoned and got a spot. And after two days, I thought, these people are nuts. This is crazy. I'm getting out of here. But I'm going to try to concentrate, like they said, on this meditation, like the first basic one, before I leave. And right after, when I got up after an hour, I thought, whoa, I felt a buzz, a high. That was a serotonin high. That's the first time I felt it. And then so I stayed and did it again. And it would only last like 30 seconds to a minute. I'd get it longer. Like now I'm pulling it up whenever I feel like it. So that's how you get them in. It's a serotonin buzz. Like they're told that they're going to fix their their souls and it's going to repair everything. And that's a little more detailed. I can get into that because after like the after the fourth day, they have to sit without moving. 
So they're in pain and they're told to be equanimous with that. Don't, don't feel the pain. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah, don't react to it. So while you're feeling pain, like for an hour long, and it goes on for another six days, your body is going to start releasing all kinds of stuff to deal with the pain from um, natural opioids to all kinds of chemicals. And uh, so you're getting a serotonin buzz when you stand up. You've got uh, you've got these sort of opioids or what, whatever your body's going to deal with to deal with pain that you're not uh, able to end. And then when the hour's up and then you release from it, you're rewarded with dopamine. So the high is like coming from all over the place with this technique. Mm-hmm. But it was the ancient technique and it worked for a shuka way back then. So I think they were interested in getting it going and probably just monitoring and studying like how it worked. And at around the same time, that's when they started with MDMA and Prozac, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Mm-hmm. Like at the same time that this cult started to spread or I mean this whatever it is, cult. Yeah, let's call it a cult. I just didn't want you to think that it was like those crazy guru cults where the people are dancing around or sad guru. He's been on the yeah, advertising on the Joe Rogan show. Sad guru. Oh, I, ha- Sad I haven't guru. seen that, no. I haven't seen that Yeah, one. that guy's a real goof, too. He's always laughing. <laughs> like Santa Claus with his beard makes me sick, this guy. I, I think the way this people. works is that you, when they have something, whether it's a technique or a product that they want to be widespread, they make sure that there is something for every strata of society. So this might appeal more to, I notice on the website that they're targeting executives and business people. So this would be aimed at people who wouldn't want to follow around somebody who's dressed in orange and, you know, speaking mumbo jumbo to them that would turn them off because, you know, they'd go, well, this is a cult. So, yeah, Yeah. it's a little subtler. You're going to get highly suggestible people. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So the cheese in the mouse trap, like uh, the worm on the hook, is a serotonin buzz. And I'm still trying to figure out how the rest works. But before I forget, you're talking about executives. The biggest one I know of is uh, Klaus Schwab's little mini-me buddy. Um, Harari? Noah. Harari. I, I read that. You know, I had for totally forgotten that, but I remember reading that or hearing him talk about it in an interview. Can you say his name properly, please? I just um, it. It, well, is it Noah? Is it first? first? Is it Noah and then Yuri you... Noah Yuval? I think it's uh, I think it's Noah Yuval Harari. Oh yeah, well that sounds close. Yeah, and, well, and mean, that's that's, that's good enough for so us, good. right? <laughs> yeah, everybody knows that little like mm-hmm. Yuri. There's another one. So yeah, so now this is a person. He's what they call a public intellectual. So he gets all of the, you know, academic awards and grants and notice. And, you know, he's the spokesman for all things terrifying, you know, the end of humanity, AI, et cetera, et cetera. But you're right. He is. um, Klaus Schwab's mini-me, like Dr. Evil's mini-me. Yeah. And uh, his name is Yuval Noah Harari. Yes. Okay. He's, You've all uh, know lives it. in Israel. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So. He wrote a book called Sapiens, I think. 
Don't have any clue what it's about. It was advertised on cheesy uh, late-night talk shows and seems to be some kind of a joke. To well, that came out uh, a, a while ago, I think. And, um, you know, it's one of those let's lower, let's take man off of his pedestal. We're just animals. Well, yeah, he's he comes up with all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, we're going to be able to go into your body now and Hack monitor yeah. your uh, chemical reactions. Yeah. So. When the great leader gives a speech, you can sit there smiling and nodding, but we're going to know that, that you hate him. That's right. You get frustrated and we'll send the, the police will pick you up in the morning. That's right, because that humans are hackable. Stuff, he says. One of the other things, too, when you w- said that you wanted to talk a little bit about intelligence agencies, embezzlement often, I got into what the Stargate project. And you can find out a lot of declassified CIA things about meditation. But Stargate was, what they said it was about was primarily for remote viewing. And this was back in the, uh, when was when did it start? I, I'm not exactly sure. 70s, I guess. But they felt that the Russians were doing all of this mind control and mental tricks and psychic remote, you know, psychic phenomena, remote viewing, and they didn't want to be left behind. And this all came out comically in the book and the film called The Men Who Stare at Goats. Yeah. So I don't know if you saw that, but when you actually take a look at the CIA.gov, at the Freedom of Information Act reading room, what you've got is... Pages and pages of single space. It's actually kind of hard to look at because it's just one line after another and, and dates and document numbers and then the information just all flows together. And I, I'll just read like a little tiny bit there. This is something that was approved for release in 2003. It said, CIA, and then they give a document number, who have no experience in meditative techniques and whose progress in that methodology is enhanced through effective visualization and external objective affirmation. Display of the subject's brainwave pattern on a cathode ray tube has proven to be a laboratory-validated means by which Subjects may quickly learn to place themselves in profoundly relaxed states, characterized by the sort of quietude and singularity of mental focus associated with advanced meditation. So some of this you you can find online referred to as gateway. On the official, oh, like if you call Wikipedia official, when you look at Stargate, they really downplay it and you end up thinking that it is exactly what was um, portrayed in the men who stare at, at goats when they introduce the public to the idea of psychic driving by the repetitive playing of the theme song from Barney. And they had a, they got a little LSD in there and a little um, spoon bending, so the parlor tricks. But actually... The documents show that the CIA was involved in studying all kinds of meditative techniques and in a laboratory, you know, 
monitoring brain waves in a laboratory environment of the, all the different meditation techniques that are out there. Uh, yeah, from what I could hear, uh, read from there when they studied it, they never talked about serotonin or chemical release. It was all brain waves, mm-hmm. alpha, beta, and, and I'm not super familiar with all this. Something I'd like to look into, see why they would call it that. Yeah. You meant you mentioned to me, and I hadn't had time to listen to it yet. But you said there's an audio clip. I'd like you to get into the talk. Oh, okay, brilliant. And if you um, want to mention that, I'll be sure to include that. But do you want to say what that is? Yeah, sure. Let's dive into that. Okay. Well, I've heard Alan mention this a bunch of times. I found it twice so far, just uh-huh. since. Uh, when you said that we'll have another talk, his second appearance on the Alex Jones show. So this is about the right and left brain mm-hmm. um, in a cult. Like they have, they, it's it's all over the occult, the right and left brain, and even the corpus callosum, the bridge in the middle. So like the Freemasons have Jackin and Boaz. Mm-hmm. You've heard, you remember, and uh, and it's usually in their artwork and stuff. There's a, like a keystone that that binds them both together. So I'm pretty sure that's the left and the right, and they have different terminology. They would call it, uh, among themselves, they call it uh, soul and spirit. This is what Carl Jung called it. He used the Latin for soul and spirit, anime and animus. In the writings, it seems like he's talking about female and male, but that's also how the old alchemist said it. I'll send you pictures from like where there's... You see a split brain where there's two different faces on the same body mm-hmm. and there's the sun and the moon above them. So just like the left um, and the right brain, like the left brain can only reflect the light of the sun, like that's represented by the moon. It's the right brain that does everything. The, the, the left brain is really just a follower. Uh, so all this symbolism is there and they uh, animus it and it means spirit and mind. If you go to your uh, phone and uh, type in Latin to English, it won't quite come up when you put anime and animus, but just like you can reverse it usually on my phone. You just hit it and it'll go back uh, Latin to English. Hit it a few times and it'll turn into spirit because like in French, the word for mind is, uh, is esprit and that's the same word for spirit. It's uh, I had to look this up. It's called the homonym. It's a word that has two different meanings. Mm-hmm. So the same in Latin. It can, you can, the word for mind was uh, the same word for spirit. And sometimes when I kept playing with the phone, it would translate it spiritus. So the same, like French is a Latin language. So they were talking about, and Carl Jung, and, but he wasn't giving up all the secrets. When I listened to Alan, he was saying that Carl Jung had a lot more understanding of the occult than most people know, but he, uh, he didn't want to step on any toes. But he was talking about the right and left brain, I think. i got to go back and look at that now again. But they call it uh, soul and spirit. So Alan, what, what he's talking Alex Jones, he's talking to Alex Jones, and Alex Jones will say, Florida leaves. And Alan says, yeah, that's the, it represents the body, um, soul, and spirit all working together. Mm-hmm. And he says... And so this is a eugenics program. Uh, this is what they really mean about uh, how, how uh, the study of genetics would cure all the world's ills. Well, it will for them when they make us all a specific type uh, that will serve them much better without the problems. And that's where they've been going steadily ever since. 
and all the different branches of the Illuminati that sprung up uh, were just branches of uh, free, higher Freemasonry at the time. And Weishaupt's order was the Beanin Order, uh, the Order of the Bees. They had the beehive as a symbol, the perfect society. The Florida Lane. Yeah, and it goes all the way back to to uh, Egypt too. The Florida initiated in Egypt. You see in the top of their columns, and also uh, it's the, the Trinity. It's the perfect unification of body, soul, spirit. Whereas the ordinary person, supposedly, this is what they, they, they joked amongst themselves. The ordinary person didn't have spirit; they just had soul, which was nothing much. <laughs> and uh, so there's all this uh, propaganda to reinforce what they believed in, and they always recruited from the universities. And Alan says that uh, they joke around because the little people, the peasants, they only have soul, and that's not much. I want someone to tell me, answer if you can. I want someone to tell me, what's the soul of man? I've traveled different countries, traveled in this land I haven't found one to tell me what is the soul of a man because the rich people have spirit and, and, uh, and then in another time I think it was December 27th 2006 Alan mentions um, that they, they would joke around about the little people and say that, and call them the poor old souls Mm-hmm. And that they don't have spirit, because mm-hmm. they, if they don't have function of their right hemisphere, that's what it means to me. But we, but we don't want to go along with the elite either. See, the elite have talked for years about giving themselves eternal life. That's all part of their great work, as they call it, for themselves. In their ancient religion, in books which were published in the 1700s for each other because they were the only ones that could read then outside the priesthoods they talked about um, this religion quite a lot and how their spirits were different from the, the common spirits you know, the common souls, we're just souls we're poor old souls actually I've got boots like that and they talk about how they have spirit and how they were a superior type that were sort of imprisoned here, or cast here and how they created their first human bodies to inhabit through forcing, by pure willpower, the earthly materials to create the bodies, which still retain special powers, but by inbreeding with the commoners, they began to lose them, hence the need for genealogies and back to inbreeding again. That's what they used to give us as a, as a story. Uh, no doubt to impress us and he has go, wow, because if, you, if they'd say they're special, even in a negative sort of way, and we believe it, then we're putting ourselves in an inferior position. And they've used these techniques from ancient times. You'll find the Ptolemies, for instance, uh, Ptolemy, who was uh, a general under Alexander, ended up sort of inheriting as part of the boot, the booty, or the looty, <laughs> the, let me call it the loot, um, Egypt. And traditionally in Egypt, you had to be descended from the pharaohs to get the job. So he had a dream with the permission of the priests that he'd bought off. And and he told this, this to the, the priests, of course, and he kept his lines, read his lines well. And so the previous pharaoh's spirit came to him in a dream 
and said, it's okay, old boy, you're really one of us. And that was good enough to get the job as top pharaoh. So they, they sell this, these ideas to the public that they're special and different. And after a few generations, people do believe they're gods, you see. And they tell us all kinds of fantastic things to make us believe it. And strangely enough, the more fantastic the story has always found, the more people want to believe it, kind of like reptilians and stuff. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but that's the hunch I was coming to. Like, wow. So I can, yeah, you can play where, where Alex Jones says Florida Lease and where Alan says, like, they, they little people only have soul. They don't have spirit. And in the religion, he says, go right back to Egypt at least, that uh, a body, soul, and spirit all together work and functioning all together. Mm-hmm. That's like a holy person. Uh, well, maybe, no, now I'm getting mixed up with Alan Watts. He calls that a holy person. Like, it, it actually means the whole person is working together, and from that word we got a holy person. To touch on a little bit um, the allegory of the chariot, because I, yeah. this is something that, that, that Alan, yeah, that was- yeah, Alan talked to me about this, and I don't actually know that Alan ever spoke about it publicly, although he might have. But when you mentioned that you wanted to talk about that, I I think it's a good thing to discuss and give people a visual idea of the allegory of the chariot. Yeah, and that's that's right. Because I was sitting here thinking, what part did I forget about the soul and spirit? And that's the allegory of the chariot. So that's from Plato, Phaedrus, I think. Can look up all the details after. Yeah, so it's a charioteer. And it's the soul, the whole thing represents, but, uh, or like, not the soul, like I was just explaining, but an animating force, like the Greeks would say. So you have two horses, one white and noble and listens, and one that's wild and uh, it's black and it's just wild. And they say one's beautiful, one's ugly. And uh, you have to steer both of them. You have to control them both so that they work together. And then you could, like in the allegory, they can go up to heaven. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the ones that can't steer them, they'll they'll be drawn down, or the, the chariot will be ripped apart. But that's what I think it is. It's it's union of right and left together, and using your corpus callosum, because the corpus callosum they named it uh, calloused body. Mm-hmm. And if you're not using your right hemisphere, you are dead inside. Like you don't feel your emotions tangibly. You don't. You just really you have a, a calloused body to your nerves. But that, yeah, I don't know if everybody could understand that. No, that gets back to this meditation where you learn to feel around inside, feel your heart beating, um, feel what an emotion feels like as it rushes from your chest down through your body. I had a junkie girlfriend once. I never used heroin. Like once I I tried to buy um, opium in India and I didn't know how to smoke it. I was trying to smoke it like hash and I ended up eating it and getting constipated. So I've never done it, but she, I, I just started dating her and I went over to get some soup that we cooked together and then I found all of her needles. It's pretty scary. But then she wanted me to try it when we we're drinking and I just said no, but I, I got her to keep explaining it to me in detail. And that's what she would say. It would start at the top of her shoulders and rush through her body when she would shoot up. I think she was taking pharmaceutical pills. Like you can get them for free and people like in BC, we uh, the government gives them to people for free. If you just say that you're a junkie and then they would mix these pills up and they'll also give you little kits 
to get a little spoon, a little thing full of uh, sterilized water, a cotton filter to suck it up after in the needle. So, but this is all provided for by the government. And uh, right now they've changed the laws here. So that, well, just wait, we better not get off topic. So no, this is how she described it. So she could feel this rush through. You can, when you get sensitive on the inside, using your right hemisphere, you can feel an emotion, nervousness, happy, you feel other people, and you feel it rush through your body like that, through your bloodstream, especially through your bloodstream. Like you, every time you breathe in, you have to, every one of your cells has to breathe. It needs oxygen. So you can, that's the first one you tap onto, that wave up and down. That's the feeling of, the good feeling of your cells getting a breath of fresh air of oxygen. And you can feel that wave going up and down, called the flow. And it's pretty wild. Like these are all the tricks that they, they get you. This is what, get, this is why I'm still here in this madhouse. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's still so interesting and I haven't figured it out the con or how it works. And I want to know. Well, which is it that you're trying to figure out? The con or how it works? Or the, or how the how, con works? How the, how the meditation works. But since I've been here, I've been so sidetracked on how the con and the foundation and the organization works. Uh-huh. Because, because I'm inside of it now. You know, I have a job here. Obvi- so obviously, dealing. there is more than one way to control the left and right hemisphere. There, there's more than one way to oh, be yeah. the charioteer. Yes, this could probably just be a dead end, but uh, it still has woken up. Like it's, it's amazing to be able to feel on the inside mm-hmm. and to get a rush of serotonin when you just need one by just stopping and concentrating in the middle of watching a movie. Like I'm bored. Like a lot of junkies come here and alcoholics, and it's their rehab. And after mm-hmm. ten days, they do pretty good for a few months, and then they have to take it from there. What, how do you feel that it has affected your desire to drink? Um, I mean, it, you said uh, you've slowed it, it's down. Like, it's like wrecked a serotonin high. It's hard to explain by drinking. And, yeah, and you can really feel like even weed, like something to do alone. I can't even talk to people properly. Like it really, it impairs you. Well, yeah, oh, that's what it's called. And, yeah, it just impairs you. It makes you retarded, especially weed. You can't function anymore. So that really wasn't the purpose of coming here. Well, yeah, kind of. I wanted to, to I was drinking way too much. But, uh, yeah, it does. A lot of people come here for that purpose, for a rehab purpose. And they don't care about any of the other crap or whatever the, the like the old Buddhist stories and reincarnation and good parmies and leaving your will to the cult. And like they just tell them in like parables of old, olden day times and, how a guy just wanted to donate his money and his life to the to the Dhamma. You mentioned the woke direction that the center is moving into universally, and I wondered if you could touch on that a little bit. Yeah, and that's another fascinating thing I didn't see coming, because they were got to follow all the rules, can't break the rules, you know, you can't fart in the fucking dama hall and you can't like all these things have to be done on time and and uh, to, to, to keep everything in the pristine purity of 2300 years ago so all those rules were sacred and all of a sudden after covid we're going full-on woke <laughs> like this guy called the guru he i think he's like a useful idiot that was 
doing the the teaching in Burma and then met these like this he definitely met the CIA guy uh John Coleman and other Americans probably involved in the CIA and they used him he was a true believer I think he didn't seem to make any money on it right to the day he died this guy Goenka gave a speech at the UN in the year 2000 so he was invited to this uh what was it darn I should have wrote a note on that this they had a big religious for all the different religions world peace summit i think they gave speeches in the un and they went to the waldorf hotel mhm so it's called his i can't remember waldorf anyway, astoria yeah, the waldorf hotel yeah waldorf astoria astoria it's from the astor family oh okay yeah and then they had all their workshops there working with the wef like it was wf back then mhm they were working with him and he gave his speech and uh, at that same time he cuz like people are trying to cancel him cuz they and they got um the minutes of a meeting he had with his assistant teachers a question and answer and they were asking like you know what what about homosexual people so in the year 2000 he said that we must have a lot of compassion for them but basically isolate them like a covid positive patient So they're well, not he, allowed to say covid all. positive back then but <laughs> Well no but just like these people yeah. are going to infect everybody else and uh-huh. we don't want homosexuality spreading so he said that they can they can still come but they have to be isolated like in their own cabin mm-hmm. and you could bring the food to them they're not allowed in the dama hall mm-hmm. that's like the pulpit I get is that what you call it in church Um that yes there that's speaking behind the the podium or the pulpit yeah oh okay i that's was thinking a, more like where all the pews are and the people sit no that's just But, the uh, congregation or the pews or okay well they're not allowed in the church wow they're not allowed to step foot in the church with everybody else while the sermons being given because they can infect everybody else with their madness but we want to try and help them anyways and and cuz they they believe that by meditation they're going to cure everything wrong inside of them that's what they see with all these nuts like to come here and get high and but they don't change it's still like if you're rotten you're a rotten person if you were compassionate to begin with you're compassionate you don't actually change your soul it's a whole another branch of of uh, this place and like how like the way that they really explain that this works but yeah so he he basically said like this is what he said about homosexuals they're not even allowed to meditate with other people because they segregate the men and the women here mostly just so that you're not interested in flirting and while you're here so you're supposed to concentrate on on learning meditation and not getting distracted with meeting a chick and getting her phone number so everybody's sort of segregated so he said this about the uh like in the dining hall was segregated they used to wash the linen and the different like the linen you'd throw over the meditation cushions the female and the male all had to be washed separately but now suddenly at the first thing i noticed there's no rule we wash it all at the same time now and then i realized the lgbtq course is coming they're going around and covering up all the signs that say men and women we're not allowed to use the words men and women they're just going to have walking areas everybody's going to be sleeping wherever on the women's side on the men's side like if you're a chick with a penis or if you're a, if you're whatever Hey, there's no more segregation and I thought holy cuz cuz the guy that started this as taught by 
S.N. Goenka, he's going to roll over in his grave. He would never believe that this is happening. And it all just happened, boom, overnight, right after COVID. After COVID. Has there been any discussion about it? Like when you were told, this is happening, what, in a couple of weeks, the LGBTQ are coming to meditate? Yeah. No, it's the next course. We're halfway through one right now. Okay. Because t- we've had like a Vietnamese course for Vietnamese people, and it would be mostly in their language, and a Burmese course, and now we're going to have the LGBTQ course. Have you been instructed as to, uh, other than covering up the signs, has there been any conversation that you're privy to about why there's such a departure from an age-old stance I haven't ha- asked any like superiors, uh-huh. but the other ones that are in on it are just like, uh, well, the world's changing. Like the people that are so strict on the rules and would rat me out for anything, they're suddenly like, oh, the rules are changed. They're just ready to follow the leader. Uh-huh. And this is compassion. And they're kind of, because a lot of people that come here from university too, like Alan said that for the televangelists, they have to, give tribute to their Masonic bosses for all the money they make because those sheep are owned by their bosses. Their minds have been conditioned to just fall for the TV evangelists. Mm -hmm. So here we get a lot of university students, and they are the most highly suggestible people of any demograph I've ever met. I can't even talk to them. Because I know you've been to university, so obviously there's a lot of university people that are smart, but I just couldn't believe how... After university, they're still so willing to, uh, they just update themselves. So I've met a woman, 78 years old here, and at the patient transport, a man, 75. So they did their univer, they went to university, got their bachelor's or whatever degrees, master's degrees in the, in the 60s and early 70s. And they're, both of them were still right up to date on the political correctness, mm-hmm. on the updates. Uh-huh. With all the transgenderism, global warming, everything, they just uh-huh. from they were conditioned back in the '60s, and they just accepted each update as as it came, right up till now. Uh-huh. Just blew my mind. Yeah, you know, Alan so has get- said before that the the higher education, the more education that you get, the more the more willing you are to adapt to whatever change is given to you. And there are a couple amongst his listeners, there's a couple of amazing examples that come to my mind of this, but there was a couple that had, that were in contact with Ellen and they had four grown children and a lot of grandchildren. And of their four children, three of them were self-employed with their own businesses and they were married and they had never gone to university. And the fourth child had gone to university and married someone who had gone to university. And the three children who had no university, they had children that they did not vaccinate. They did not want to vaccinate, and they had opinions about that. And the children who, the child who went to university and married someone there, they had their children vaccinated and kept up to date on the vaccinations. And the parents of this brood commented to Alan that the difference between the unvaccinated children and the vaccinated children was pretty marked. So that was one example of adaptation. 
And I, actually, I could probably keep going on this forever, but another quick one was a woman in her 60s that contacted him. And her parents, her mother was in her mid-80s, married to a man, uh, her stepfather in his mid-80s. And her nephew, the woman in her 60s, her nephew had decided to transition to female and so Alan's listener commented to her parents, you know, that she was just horrified by this. And both her mother and stepfather immediately jumped on her with all of the latest uh, woke thinking about transitioning and just told her that she was a completely backward, hope, hopeless, hateful, you know, how, how did this even happen to you? How are you even my daughter? <laughs> And it's university education. Oh, yeah. Well, it just yeah, makes people so adaptable. Yeah, the universe, because what it's called, it, it's the root word for culture. So we're all born into a cult. Mm-hmm. And uh, the culture is it, just like culturing bacteria in a Petri dish. I didn't think of that myself. I got it from listening to Alan. <laughs> so you can, yeah, you create the culture for them. And they, they're like... I was walking around UBC, University of British Columbia, this summer to go to the beach there and because uh, I wanted to see, like, I was expecting to see rainbow flags and bearded ladies. and But, no, they were just, you wouldn't know if it was the 80s. They were just, yeah, they looked like little kids, like junior high to me. But they were, like, right out of high school and dressed normally, boys and girls. I saw one fat guy with a beard and a dress, and that was about it, out of walking around all day on the campus and all over the place, but they're young little kids and they're just so highly suggestible. Like, why would they have any reason to believe that they're being lied to? Like, they really think, like, it's really hot this summer, that global warming, we're all going to die. Like, you could tell them whatever you wanted. It's kind of sad. But when you condition them, like, and say a doctor, he's in, or a teacher, a teacher never leaves the cult yeah, I mean, right through to grade 12 into university and then back to the high school to teach. They they don't even know what the outside world is like. They only know the inside of the educational cult. Same as a doctor. When does a doctor finish university? Like 27, 28 years old. By then, there's no going back. Like, you've been completely indoctrinated. And, there's not, and of course, COVID showed us all the cool doctors out there, the precious few. But, I mean, all those years inside the cult, just to really just snap out of it is, I don't know if it's possible. We were talking about, you mentioned they had their shots, and that reminded me, last time you asked, like, how do you atrophy the right hemisphere? And I, the simple answer was to domesticate people. So then the question, how do you domesticate people? Well, um, you can do it through culture, you can do it with, Injection, injunction, mm-hmm. diet. and diet. Yeah. That's another way to stifle the, especially with the, like in the book, uh, Master and Zemissary with Ian McGilchrist, he was describing autism as a right hemisphere deficit. And then we see with all the inoculations, all the autism that follows them. So they could well be giving chemical lobotomies to the right hemisphere or stifling it. Or I'm just taking a wild guess here. Right. Like autism is the misfunction. And that's the same like I noticed with uh, these health officers across Canada in each province. They look like Bonnie Henry. And you used to see the one from Alberta. She was fired 
That's a story I want to come back to in a second. She's totally autistic. Her name is Dina Hinshaw. If we can throw up a picture of her just with her, uh, with her big Coke bottle glasses and just out of her mind, <laughs> just autistic and, and didn't care how many people were dying from her decisions. And they weren't really her decisions. It's just like it's not Trudeau's decisions to destroy Canada. It's they're just the front. They're the public relations people up front on camera. They're not oh, making any decisions. No. But I'm they don't sorry. Care. I did just pull up a picture of her. She's a fright. Yeah, Dina Hinshaw. So everybody was happy with the new premier of Alberta that she was going to stand up to this. So the first thing she did was fire Dina Hinshaw, and then she fired the board of directors at the hospital. But uh, Dr. Mack has pointed out that that was just to show the public that she was going to do something. All they did was sacrifice the board of directors. They weren't the top. Uh They were, uh, there's a way higher level above them. And reminded me of when Alan used to point out in the movie Gangs of New York that uh, a politician came to the leader of the the, the, um, strongest gang and he said, the people are so pissed off, there's so much crime, we have to show them that uh, we're on their side and we're going to clean this up. I need you to sacrifice like three or four of your of your men. Mm-hmm. And the guy was so pissed off, and he said like uh, he said ten of my like ten of my guys are or, or, or no, it would take ten politicians uh, are aren't even worth one of my guys. But then he sacrificed them, and they hung three of his guys like they were just sacrificed. Yeah, I, I remember think that's what that. happened in Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. They just fired these guys low level and just sac- They were all in on it and scumbags, but they weren't. The leaders, the the real bad scumbags are still in power for sure. And they just sacrificed so many because Alberta was really pissed off. That was the one province that really had enough of all this. So they had to appease the people. And, and um, oh, geez, now I forgot. It was the premier of Alberta now. And, um, yeah, and I wanted her to be my hero too. And But, you know, that's how it goes. Dr. Mackis is my hero. Pretty cool guy. Wow, holy cow. That's a brave yeah. man. Yes, he's he's doing some really good work and uh, wow, and just like, such a nice guy, but just ready to to take on like yeah. the mafia and the, and the world. Yeah, no, he's but, yeah. I'm sure everybody's aware of Doctor Macus. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I wanted to say about how do you uh, um, atrophy the right brain? How do you domesticate people? Diet injection. Injunctions. Mm-hmm. Just say, who was that? Um, Bertrand, Bertrand Russell? Russell. Or yeah, Bertrand one Russell. Of those. It was yeah, Russell. Uh huh. Yep. I think it was the impact of science on society, but uh, oh, yeah. there was there was also that the sounds- scientific outlook, and I can't keep the quotes straight. Which book? So, but yeah, it was definitely Russell. So what uh, what else do you want to say about? the cult you said you were going a little bit deeper uncovering a few things of the inner workings is it too soon for you are you still investigating this or i'm meeting the but yeah this is people's personal uh yeah i don't know if i signed a disclosure agreement or what mm. <laughs> <laughs> i just signed it, read it but who cares why don't you sue me because I, well, I, what you do is you declare bankruptcy, like you can't get blood out of a stone. <laughs> but 
Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out if they, because I really thought maybe they were sinister and working, but I think that they've just their whole life have been into this, and the whole thing might be run, or most of it run by true believers. But I'm just getting to know these people now. They're 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 showing up to like caretaker. They'll be the superior uh, teachers here, and they just they seem like they're nice people. But uh, that's I'm still I, I got to meet them and figure all that out. You know, certainly when people think about a cult, they might think about, oh, the Moonies or something where, you know, parents have to send in a deprogrammer to rescue a teenager yeah. or a runaway and, and, and they go into some kind of deprogramming for a few weeks and then they're out and hopefully they're safe. But as you said, the root of culture is cult. And so we can look at things and there is a cult-like atmosphere to even organizations or religious organizations that have this so-called stamp of approval on them. Because you could say, oh, well, the Catholic Church is not a cult, but being a Mooney, you are in a cult. Or this particular kind of yoga is a cult, but this Protestant church isn't, but they operate on similar processes. The first is one way or another, they're tapping into the right hemisphere of the brain, whether it is through a meditative process or the, the love bombing and the high that you get by, you know, joining hands and feeling that you're part of a group because that does release serotonin. And then the group just sort of takes care of itself, like a school of fish or the way that, you know, animals move in nature. And, and they will, some churches are even told, if you don't see somebody in the pews for two weeks in a row, you know, contact them, call them up, send them a text, you know, email, find out what's going on with them. So in this way, you are kept part of the group. And it's the carrot and the stick. The stick is that you're going to feel bad. And, and a lot of people say, well, hey, you know, it really is good for you to go to church every week. But the carrot is that release that you get, which is biochemical, when people come up to you and say, I've missed seeing you. You run into somebody that you go to church with at the grocery store and they say, I miss you in church. Well, the fact that you're missed releases a little bit of serotonin. It's a little bit of love, or maybe it's just oxytocin, but whatever, you get a little chemical release there. I'm noticed, I'm valued, I'm missed. Yeah, so me, I, so our definitions of cult are different. Like to me, a cult is any group. If it's surfers, if it's hockey fans of one team, if it's a church, if it really is like a cult with a crazy guru, they're all part of the group and they want to belong. I know that here, we don't even see these people again. Nobody calls them to say, we love you. Like, just get, mm-hmm. get the fuck out of here. Like, it's the course is over and don't need hangers on. And uh, they're just taught. But in my position, it was it's different. It's um, You could get uh, ostracized. What's the word for it? Like, the, it would well, kicked out shunned or whatever yeah 
um, because we are managers. So they say that we have to represent the the whole thing and can, like show everyone that we're good and we follow the rules. Can I you just s- got dragged in. Yeah, I, I was going to say, tell people what happened right after we talked last week. Yeah, some young girl decided that I, I, she, she was being mean to the service or volunteers, or I thought so. She's just crazy. Like this one, the people that come to the management, they're nuts. Like people are crazy. I'm used to dealing with it, not just here. Like my whole life, I'm always up front and like, especially at the hospitals. But anyways, they, uh, they want to fix themselves. They think they'll be a manager. They'll stay here for a year and they'll come out the other end with all of their uh, mental issues and their problems and. It will be dissolved through the meditation technique. That's what they're told. But she just freaked out, and I was public enemy number one, and I'm verbally abusive, and then I didn't even know what was coming. He, he's been eating meat, and he tried to get me to eat meat. I smelled the pungent odor of hangover on his breath. And like, yeah, I know I told everyone I was drinking, but she didn't. She's fucking lying. Or she's just crazy. It seemed like she didn't even seem like she was lying. She was just nuts. And Tell the truth, him, like, Peter. Did you try to get her to eat meat? No. But she <laughs> was buying meat from the farmer next door and eating it outside of the course. I think I told her that I had some uh, deer liver in my freezer, so it was partially true. But uh, And I might have joked around about, yeah, we can eat meat, but everything she took so seriously. And then, she, and then there's two older teachers here, and she said he called – um, so and so and his wife fucking retard. And I might have even said that. <laughs> like the, the, a lot of the teachers that have been doing this for 30 years are not the brightest candles in the church, man. That's, that's like, that's what I, can't you guys see that? Like instead of worshiping and kissing their ass and thinking they're holy, like, why don't you talk to them and see that they're kind of nuts? Like 30 years of doing this didn't do fuck all for them. They're crazy. But they just don't get that. They, they, they want to believe so bad that they're going to get fixed. Um, mentally so but these are only out of all the people that come here it's just us on this uh like on the management team and the higher up and the teachers that's where the the weird cult activity mm-hmm. like like you look at a cult comes where there's check-ins and seeing how you're doing and discussing how important the rules are and and celibacy and yeah it's so funny we're having an lgbtq course but I'm not supposed to be meeting girls on the beach on my days off. Or, or you just have to tell the teacher about it and talk. So there's massive group therapies. Like, that's what I call it, that are just so painful. Because these group therapies are also uh, becoming part of law now. Like uh, drinking and driving, you go to group therapy. Now, that's mm-hmm. your punishment. You don't even, like, before you used to lose your license once for a year, next time five years, after that for life. Now it doesn't matter how many impaired you get, you go to the group therapy and you get your license back after three months and you sit through group therapy and it's so fucking painful. Well, what happened after you got called on the carpet for your possible meat eating and hangover breath? I just, I I said, well, no, it wasn't true. I think there's two possibilities. Either I'm a liar or she's she's confused. She doesn't know what she's talking about. But I was, was really calm the whole time. And before that, I talked to this teacher that was uh, that was doing this group thing, and I was telling him about that uh, I'm distancing myself from the people here because they do have mental issues. And like, so, anyways, I'm I'm not fired yet. I'm still here. I want to make it to that LGBTQ course. And report back. And my car's back. broken down. Hey. And report back on that. 
Um, yeah, no kidding. Just for like it's now I'm reporting stuff. I used to just do these adventures for my own experience and then move <laughs> on. <laughs> I've forgotten half of my adventures. Well, listen. But yeah, we, it's really. Eh? Yeah, we've, down. yeah, we've we've run burned through another hour. Okay, right on. But I think we got some. Great. We've got good links to send people to to dig into some of this, and you sent me some nice audios and videos for people to watch. And so it's just something to think about. I think that's the point here is I don't really know that what you're doing is sinister. You don't really know that what you're doing is sinister. But any time that you let somebody in your head then you there's a real possibility there that somebody other than you is going to be able to kind of take the reins of the chariot. Oh, well, yeah, I know. I don't see any danger of that at all. Okay. I'm just, uh, this is how I live my whole life, like especially through school, through everything. You're just, these people are nuts. That's fine. <laughs> I'm the only one that's here. It's not like I'm, I'm going to become a true believer after. I mean, hopefully you realize that from talking to me. This is just super interesting. Yeah. Like, what is going on here? Right back to 2300, why is the CIA involved, serotonin? How does the whole thing work? Why is Yuri uh, Noah Yuvari, you know, why is he doing 60-day courses? Uh-huh. He, he meditates from 4.30 in the morning till 9 at night. For 60 days in a row. Yeah, I read that, but he, this is like a, his, you know, has to do it every single year. That's, that's <clears> yeah, every year. Yeah. So this is what, yeah, it's, this is a great adventure. I'm not done yet. That's why I hope I don't get fired. Yeah, okay, let's wind it down because I always try and keep you on the line just when I start having fun. <laughs> But uh, is that, this is fun. This is great. So it anytime. is fun. It is fun. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, stepping up and doing this. Uh, I, I appreciate you being willing to do this last minute. And I know that you didn't get a chance to prepare as much as you wanted to, but I think you brought a lot of interesting links of videos and audios for people to dig in a little bit and find out a, a little bit more about both Vipassana and. Uh, the whole left brain, right brain idea. So. Okay, um, I could send you some more links maybe later about uh, even the documentaries made um, about Vipassana by the Vipassana people. So thanks everybody for listening. I wanted to mention that what is coming up. Oh, I've got an interesting uh, episode coming up next week. It's going to be a little bit different format with someone and we're going to... I'll just leave it at that. It's going to be a different format, and I think it'll be a really good conversation. So thank you again for listening, and I will be back next week.